Gospel this morning, uh, St. Luke shares with us the story of Mary's visit to a relative, Elizabeth. But before we read the gospel, I, I want to bring us up to date uh, what happened prior in Luke's gospel story of the birth of the Savior, Jesus. A priest named Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. Both of them were devout Jews. They had no children. Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were getting up in age. When serving as a priest in Jerusalem, Zechariah was required to enter the sanctuary and offer incense as a gift to God. The people were praying outside. Suddenly, an angel, Gabriel, was standing before him. Needless to say, Zechariah was terrified. It's not every day an angel comes to pay you a visit. Gabriel told Zechariah that he and, his, and Elizabeth's prayers were soon to be answered. Elizabeth would get pregnant and they would have a son. Their son was to be called John, and he would lead many people to God. He would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah questioned how this could possibly happen, as both he and Elizabeth were just too old to have any children. That response didn't sit very well with the angel. Gabriel chastised Zechariah and told him he would not be able to speak until the child was born. God had another job for the angel Gabriel to do. The angel was sent back to a backwater town in Galilee called Nazareth to visit Mary, a virgin engaged to Joseph. Gabriel told Mary she had found favor with God. You will conceive and bear a son, he says, and you will call him Jesus. That certainly startled Mary. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to a child and name him Jesus and he will be the Son of God. And that brings us to our gospel lesson this morning. Elizabeth, John's mother, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are two women filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. In Elizabeth's inspired greeting and Mary's song of praise, we hear of a saving God who remembers, scatters, lifts up, and fulfills all things. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard that greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich are sent away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. 
for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to you. Please be seated. Martin Luther loved Mary. You may already have known that, but I have regularly been surprised by how few Lutherans know that. I suspect that's because while Lutherans often know too little uh, about their Roman Catholic kindred, one of the things they do know is that Mary has a significant place in Roman Catholic piety. And so I assume Luther would not have been a fan but he was. He was a huge fan of Mary. To Luther, Mary represented the typical pattern of God's interaction with humans. Indeed, not just interaction, but election. That is, it wasn't Mary's goodness or innocence or beauty or even her willingness to serve God that Luther focused on. Rather, it was the plain and simple fact that God chose Mary to bear the Christ child. And that fact to Luther is not simply plain and simple, but also surprising, perhaps even shocking. God didn't choose a royal princess or a holy priestess, but a plain, at least in the eyes of the world, an utterly insignificant young girl. God chose her. God elected her, God addressed her, God honored her, and God elevated her. Nobody would have expected that, which is why Luther loved Mary, because she stands for all of us, all of us who have no right to expect God's attention and favor, and yet who are surprised to discover that God has chosen, elected, called, addressed, and honored each one of us, which in turn helps explain Mary's response. She was surprised. She was frightened, even confused. Nevertheless, Mary, when she was chosen by grace to play this significant role, can only allow herself to be caught up in God's gracious plans and so receives God's invitation in joy. When you think about it, the surprising choice of God isn't limited just to Mary, but rather it is a theme of Luke's whole story of the nativity. Because no one would have imagined that the shepherds would have been found uh, to be, no one would have, excuse me, no one would have imagined that the shepherds would have been chosen as as the audience of the angels. We tend to romanticize shepherds, but most folks in the first century would have found nothing romantic about them at all. At the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, dirty and smelly because of their job, no social standing to speak of, shepherds were just a rung above outcasts. Yet the angels don't appear to those in the temple in Jerusalem or to the well-to-do of Bethlehem. Rather, they appear to the shepherds. 
the last people anyone would have expected. Matthew's account, though we don't read it this year, is no different. Why foreign kings and astrologers and not those of Israel? Why a poor carpenter and his fiancée? Why any of the people who figure so significantly in Matthew's story? Of course, once we get this far, we realize this is the paradigm of most of the entire biblical story. Why the Jewish nation and not one with greater armies and more territory? Why the strange assortment of characters that become prophets? Why the old childless Abraham and Sarah? Why the mischievous, it's not downright crooked, Jacob? Why the adulterous King David? Why? Well, the list keeps going right on down, all the way, until you get to us. For those of us who will gather this Christmas Eve in our sanctuary and online, we are a rather motley crew, aren't we? We don't have our lives together as we should, or even as we'd like. We come with a mix of hopes and fears, moments of faith, and an equal number of moments in failing. We come as those, finally, with no more right to confess God's attention, let alone God's favor, than Mary and the shepherds and all those we hear about in the Christmas story. We come as those who should not expect God's attention, but you know what? We leave as those who recognize, perhaps again, with some measure of surprise, maybe confusion, and even a bit of fear, that we are also those whom God has addressed, called, honored, and elevated. We are God's own beloved children, and the whole of the Christmas story, indeed the whole life of Jesus and death and the resurrection, it's intended to assure us of God's love and presence that we might turn and share that good news with those around us. We've heard this story year after year, but I pray that it will be a surprise once more when we realize that in the birth of Jesus, we ourselves are reborn as children of God. St. John writes, Jesus was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Sisters and brothers, young and old, male and female, Jesus' love for us is beyond our comprehension. We just can't figure it out. It's just too much. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. As we celebrated this morning, as we confessed this morning, God is lavish in loving us. God will always love us, no matter what. We are claimed, we are loved, we are forgiven. And that's the story for the fourth Sunday of Advent. And we look forward to spending the days ahead waiting to come to the stable and bend down low and see that poor, Jesus, that poor tiny little baby in that feed trough.
the Savior of the world, the Savior for you and me. May you have a blessed week as you wait for the coming of the Savior. Amen.